0: Core values, if they are the fundamental beliefs of our lives, don't they control all of our decision making? Then, right? Like, think about that. What if you could get intentional about that, and then what if you could get people to understand yours and you understand theirs? Now you have the language of accountability by which you speak. I don't know, I know a lot more about you then, right? I know what how you make decisions. I know why you make decisions. And so for me, I just, I really love that about Stegan because it's grounded in values, and then it we elevate from that to really understand people and what makes them tick to get them to do what we want them to do. And that doesn't matter where they're coming from. Client, team member, outside constituent, inside constituent. It's all the same. They're all stakeholders.
1: Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. Ah, oh, it feels good to be back. I actually, you haven't noticed. There was a little break, but I took a little pause and I went down to Baja, Mexico, and I did a mini solbatical. I'm going to do a solo episode on that, a solasode. Yeah, you guys, we all need to create more spaciousness in our lives, and it doesn't have to happen in Mexico. You don't necessarily need to travel during the pandemic, but yeah, we. I realized that I was getting caught up in the busyness cycle again. And I was being called to go someplace warm and reconnect with nature. And I also had an opportunity to teach. And I'm realizing that this was a big, maybe a swift kick in the ass from the universe to say, hello, via Chip Conley, one of the co-founders of Modern Elder Academy, where I was, basically saying, you girl, it's your time. Step into your role as a teacher in addition to all the other work that you're doing and I think teaching is a big part of liberating a billion souls. And I can see it really clearly now. So I love learning like we do on the podcast through all of these incredible conversations. And I'm recognizing that part of my work in my growth is to teach Soulbatical and the principles of Soulbatical. So stay tuned for more. I see workshops and more curriculum at Modern Elder Academy and retreats and experiences that have a teaching component, lots of things on the horizon. My wheels are spinning and I'm just, I'm sitting with many opportunities and many revelations that I've had over the course of the past month. And now I'm back. I'm sitting in my favorite chair in front in my favorite loft and having a conversation with you guys. So today's conversation is so much fun. This guy's a badass. He's a badass entrepreneur who's been CEO of multiple companies, high growth, you know, taking them from startup to you know seven eight figure companies. And his name is Darius Mirshazadeh. I learned how to pronounce it. I'm so proud of myself. He schooled me a little bit. So Darius Mirshazadeh. He became a friend only a couple months ago. He reached out for his own podcast, his own kind of web show right now called The Greatness Machine. We talk a little bit about it in the conversation. And he also is the a new author, an author of this incredible book. If you're looking, watching the video, you'll see me holding it up. But it's called The Core Value Equation. The subtitle is A Framework to Drive Results, Create Limitless Scale, and Win the War for Talent and it's all about how our core values really drive the language and design of our lives and our organizations so as leaders like let's tune in and as humans Let's tune in. He just gives us a lot of great advice. We talk about my values and his values, how we can put some texture around them, how they can guide everything that we do. And I just, I love that he's on this mission. Darius is somebody who has created core value-driven organizations. And he talked about what is his what was his epiphany that kind of made him realize like, oh, I thought I was doing values, but I'm not really doing values. And how he's created values for the companies that he's led, how he's gotten them deeply embedded, how it's become the language of the organization and how it's become really sticky so that people live into them and they drive the decisions and the actions and the results. And we also talk about how we can do the same things in our own lives. And I love, he talks us through his six values, and how he puts more, I called it texture, and kind of sensorial language around what those values are to give them the unique flavor that is Darius, that is not Shelley, that is not anyone else. And it's so fun. He's actually inspired me to go back and look at my values of authenticity, courage, and freedom, authenticity, and courage, which are my top three, and really say, well, let's put a little bit more texture around those to say, what does, what exactly does that mean through a Shelly badass rebel lens? What is my flavor of freedom and authenticity and courage to get a little bit more clear on what that means and what I want to design around it? So his book takes you through all this, but this is this is a starter conversation to just sort of wet our appetite. And it got into this conversation, got into all kinds of territory that I had not expected and was so lit up by. We talked about something new he's working on called the fulfillment formula. I'm not going to spoil the surprise. It's toward the end of the conversation. So you've got to hang in there and wait for it. But I love it. And I can't stop thinking about it. So the fulfillment formula is something we can all apply to our lives. And it's really the way that he structures it helps us understand like, how alive are we? How much are we living into our strengths and our values and feeling that fulfillment, which equals aliveness? So we talk a lot about that. We talk about you know his his values his purpose the significance and symbolism of the pink unicorn which for those of you watching the video you'll notice that I have this little neck kerchief on and I explained that in the conversation so I'm not going to go into it now but I wanted to be flying the flag for Darius and this hot pink and pink unicorns are the thing. The book is also hot pink. So I even read his book with a hot pink highlighter instead of my typical orange highlighter. So that tells you guys that I was pretty jazzed. Anyway, Darius is full of knowledge and humor and F-bombs. So, you know, my kind of people, and for sure, your kind of people. I think you guys are going to really love this conversation. It was super, super fun. And, you know, he, he brings so much wisdom to what we're doing. He has tons of credibility. He was, he created the 40th fastest growing private company in the US with his twin brother. It was called Twin Capital Mortgage back in the day until the economy went bust. And then he created another company called The Money Source, also in the mortgage space. And he's taken both of those to great heights. And he's been part of really prestigious programs and organizations like the Birthing of Giants Entrepreneurial Master's Program at MIT, which he references. And also, there's another organization that he was a part of. I'm forgetting it right now. I'm looking to see if I have it somewhere in my notes. Oh, yeah, it's called the Stegan Integral Leadership Program. And he talks a lot about that. And he's also been more recently a curator of some TEDx programs around the theme of the pursuit of passion. So we dive deeply into his passion for passion and how that plays a role in our lives and what does that look like and what, what are some pearls of wisdom he's learned from people who have pursued their passions through their life and where that's gotten them. So we are all over the board with some really fun stuff to, from values to passion to fulfillment and so much more. It's really fun. And you you guys know me well enough to know like all of those are my bread and butter. That is absolutely my jam. And Darius is so much fun. So get prepared for, uh, I guess, buckle your seatbelts or brace your shoulder harness, however you want to ride. But uh, this one is is fun and it's a it's a wild ride, fast paced. Darius is is he moves at a clip. He's he's exactly like what I think of when I think of like a Bay Area or an Austin area, you know, entrepreneurial guy. He's he's just out there. He's whip smart. He's hilarious and he's shining a light on some stuff that's really really valuable for all of us. So buckle up and enjoy the ride, Rebel Souls. Okay, I was practicing your last name and I'm going to give it a shot and you're going to tell me Mir Shazadeh.
0: Pretty close. So, what is it? Mir, so, the accents are a little off, but Mir shazadeh.
1: Oh, Mir shazadeh. Okay. All
0: right. Mir yeah, So, so Mir is Shah Zadeh. Perfect. Mir That's
1: super helpful. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's fanatic. It's just a little sketchy looking.
1: I love it. A little sketchy looking. It's just a lot of letters. That's all you got to figure out where the slobbles are supposed to happen.
0: Imagine when I was five and I had to learn that. No, nope, can't
1: you know, imagine.
0: I, can't. I remember being in kindergarten and like knowing how to say and spell my last name and people were like fucking it up. And I'm like, that's not, that's I five. I was in kindergarten. Anyway.
1: Like, that's not cool. I'm like, bitch, you just fucked up my name. Exactly. And who knew you'd
0: become a warrior for words? That's, that's <laughs> my new, I'm going to put that on my LinkedIn profile. I know.
1: Exactly. All right. Well, you know what? Maybe we should just start there. And I kind of like that little bit. So you know what? We're going to leave that in. And that was like, I'm giving all our fellow rebel souls a little preview into what pre-recording banter sounds like. And so we have just dubbed you amongst your many titles Darius, the warrior of words. And that's going to make even more sense. I love it. Flex, flex. I love it. it. Warrior of words and passionate about pink unicorns. This is going to be a really fucking great conversation.
0: Do it. Darius, welcome to Rebel Souls. Oh my gosh. I've been looking forward to this literally since you did my show.
1: Oh, I know. That feels like ages ago, but I think it was only like a month or two ago that we did The Greatness Machine.
0: I know it, it was, I think, two months ago because I, I slowed down the show since then, and I was like. Oh. Like I had so much fun with you. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till I do her show.
1: I know I was looking forward to it. I'm so glad I tried to do one or two of these in Mexico. And it was a big old capital F fail because <laughs> the Wi-Fi is a little fickle down there. So yeah. I'm so glad that we were able to push this to do when I'm back in Chicago. But I have to say, for those of you who are actually watching us on YouTube, you can notice that I'm wearing like a little flight attendant scarf that has a pink unicorn on it. It's mm. not actually a flight attendant scarf. It's a bandana with Darius's pink unicorn mascot on it. And I wore this. You sent me this with your book before you and I even had our first conversation we read each other's books and I showed up on the greatness machine your podcast with it across like around my head like a fucking ninja and it was so badass and I've kept it ever since and today when I was like I get to talk to Darius I was like can't do that again need a new need a new look and so yeah you yeah. commented you were you were proud of me for finding a new way to wear this I'm yeah I like, Badass I, flight attendant. What do you think? What do I got going on?
0: Total pink unicorn, which is aka <laughs> badass. Yeah, it's funny like I'm like that's a new deal. Like I think girls and any guys that want to rock out, they should rock the bandana like like flight attendant necktie.
1: There we go. Oh. Flight attendant necktie. And and please do, if you want to be as fashionable as me, try pairing it with a camo t-shirt.
0: <laughs> Boom. Like, dude, that, I think that, that actually is preferable in my book. Oh
1: my God. It's hilarious. Okay. So for those of you who are not watching us on video, you just got like probably a very alarming visual in your mind. But anyway, two badasses <laughs> talking to each other. Here we are super excited. So Darius, You know, I start every episode of Rebel Souls with the same question. So I'm going to ask you this. What are you rebelling
0: for? So, so funny. Like I, I was asked this question, not that specific question, but a I was going to say,
1: somebody stole my question. What? Now, I, have,
0: I have another, he, he's someone you should have on the show by the name of John Roman. Who's who runs nurse or sorry, not nurse. Oh, oh, what the hell's his name? Uh, front row dads, front row dads podcast. He's a stud. And he's, and he's, he, his whole thing is like rebelling for like dad's not being oafs, you know, like the whole Homer Simpson deal. So we, he and I were talking about this and I said, you know, like, I actually feel like I'm rebelling for people living within, within their values and knowing them and being really specific about them and intentional about them. Because I think what 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 I've found is if I ask anyone their values, if they have core values, the, the resounding answer is yes, right? Oh, yeah, of course. And then when I say, well, what are they? I get a really specific first and second value, and then it goes like crickets, right? Or it's like it gets muted or mud, muddy, right? And I'm like... By the way, since we last spoke, I've actually done this thing I'm going to ask you right now. Have you ever looked up what the definition of core values are in the dictionary?
1: No, I haven't. And I talk a lot about values. So I'm a little, hmm, no, I haven't.
0: I I mean, don't feel bad. I wrote a fucking book about it and I didn't even look him up.
1: Okay, (laughs) Okay, I feel a little
0: better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a guy just, I spent like 1500 hours of my life (laughs) launching a book about this and I hadn't even looked it up. So I was like, so then I had this moment, like this aha moment where I said, I haven't even looked up, like what is the Webster's Dictionary definition of the word core values? And it's really it's obvious, but it's it is the fundamental beliefs of a person or organization, fundamental beliefs of a person or an organization. So it's, when you ask me what I'm rebelling for, I'm like, I'm rebelling about people living an intentionally designed life around the fundamental beliefs of themselves or their organizations that they mm. live for. And, and that's something where it's like, imagine if everyone did that.
1: I want to live in that world. So can we please like you me and all of our friends who are listening to this, can we please rebel for that? Yeah. Amen.
0: Yeah, it's 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 crazy when you imagine it because what you what I find is people people understand the concept conceptually that values are really important. People understand conceptually what those values are. They do not design their life around it. Mm-hmm. They do not make decisions that are that are like intentionally aligned around bringing them to life. And what I find what I've found over the last you know, few years, even myself included, is we kind of live asleep. You know, we kind of walk around and have conversations and don't pay attention and aren't intentional about how we're showing up. And it takes practice because we're never taught that in, in school. Like, I didn't start meditating until I was 41, almost.
1: Oh, dude, I started at 45, which is what I said in my book. So you and I are very, very similar, right? You live life on autopilot, which is really living life in the shoulds, as I call it, right? Well, I should do this. I should do that. And we get so wired that way that those stories become our reality.
0: Yeah. And so imagine if, if, if you went the other way, and this is the life I'm trying to build right now. And the, what I'm doing is what if I took the same intentionality I have in building my rock star business that I've built or the rock star things that I put tons of energy into? Because a lot of people, when you say like, you, if you want to know someone's priorities, right, what do they say? Look at their calendar, right? If you want to know what they care about, look at their calendar. And many times there's a pretty wide gap between what we say we care about and how we're spending our time. But it's real simple. We prioritize what's important to us in our calendar. And so what if they're Core values were all over that calendar. What what if my core values were all over my calendar? And what I found was I started doing this practice that I learned at this leadership program called Stegan that I did, which is a really badass program. If anyone wants to learn about how to become a conscious leader, you can go to stagen.com. I'm plugging this for you, Rand. So you're welcome. But it's really it's I mean, <laughs> I've it's, never
1: heard of it. I saw it in your bio and I'm like, wait, he and I haven't talked about this. So wait, what's the like, what's the Cliff's notes version of what Stegen is and what you what you do
0: there? So Stegen was a leadership, I guess, program, academy. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was like a one-year like hardcore leadership program that ran Stegen and a couple of his contemporaries designed uh, almost 20 years ago. I think 20, maybe they're at their 20th year now. And it was basically like a secret society. Like you couldn't, like there was no applying. Like you had to get invited and it was like you got tapped and you could only get tapped by people that actually did it. And so it was like a skull and bones. Like like there was, you couldn't be a public trade company. You couldn't talk about it. It was super ninja and it became this thing. And they were basically teaching and they call it like, essentially like you're when you're you don't you don't commence until you, you get done with the program and they say the beginning is at the end right that's when you start is once you're trained and so there, it's kind of a martial arts mentality which is the reason the white belt turns black is because it gets dirty right until it turns that's, that's kind of the story around the black belt is it's getting dirty through it's like a leadership, fights, like a leadership you know? dojo yeah totally it's a totally leadership dojo and so he brings people in and cohorts of 20 and you learn conscious leadership. So you learn conscious communication, how you show up, this idea around like elevating yourselves. And the idea around it is conscious execution, conscious strategy, conscious mindsets, everything around how to become a conscious leader. And what they say is, is when you do this effectively, they call it integral leadership. How do you become an integral leadership? That's taking cherry picking these best practices of all these different modalities. There's no orthodox modality around best practices. It's almost like mixed martial arts. So Mm. I I always want to explain to people, I say, it's a secret society where they teach you mixed martial arts for being a better leader. So there's no like the boxer versus the karate guy. It's like, no, I grapple. I do Muay Thai. I do samba. Oh, and I also do traditional boxing. And I use whatever tool is going to get me the best outcome at the moment it's needed with the person it's needed with. And that's how we elevate. And one of the things, Rand, Rand was on my show and he said, the greatest mission, he said, hey, Darius, you know, I don't believe in the golden rule. I believe in the platinum rule. And you know, you know, the golden rule, right? Is yeah. treat, treat people the way you, you wish you were treated, right? You know what the, the, what the platinum rule is, Shelly? Nope. I didn't know what it was either, but Rand taught me it. He said, the platinum rule is you treat people the way they want to be treated, right? And so that's arriving with them, finding where they're at, arriving at that place, understanding where they're at and then together you elevate them to where you want them to go to. Mm. But you don't, a lot of leaders, what we do is we say, go there, do that, be that. And they're like, but I'm over here. And I like, there's a pretty wide gap between what you're asking me to be and what I am. And they go, you know, put up and show up or you're out, you know? And, What I found was I'm a pretty assertive person when I want to be it, and I was I'm I'm into Strength Finder, and I'm a six of my top seventeen strengths are influential strengths. So, and a lot of my top ten, I think four or five of my top ten are influential strengths. So, I get people to go there like naturally, right? But a lot of times they are kicking and screaming, and they just don't even know it, and then they show up and they go, I don't want to be here, and they leave, you know. But what if I met them where they're at? What if I found what language it takes to get them to resonate, and then I elevate them to where I want them to go because not because I want them to be there because they want to be there Mm. sorry go ahead.
1: ahead. I was just going to ask you like what so what's an example I'm good I'm so I had no idea we're going to have this conversation and I'm so into it right now like I, I can't stop it so what's an example of how you do that now you're a CEO you run a company you've run many companies how do you put that into practice what does it look like
0: Well, so it's funny. And so I I actually exited my company. I left as CEO. I stepped down last November. I I pulled up Michael Jordan. I'm like, I'm out. And I just dropped the mic and left. Right. And everyone's like, what? You're out. I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I built the company. I'd always dreamed about building. I had business partners. I just wasn't, I just wasn't where I wanted to be. And, you know, I was, I just wasn't aligned with my own personal values. And I was like, I need to make some changes. And so I I left and then I, I exited the company in July. So now I'm coaching. I'm doing a bunch of, working with with high, high growth companies and CEOs. And so I'll use an example of with them because you got like, everyone's like, hey, it's different when you're a consultant versus a CEO. You know, like you can't just go in there and tell them what to do and they're going to do it. And I'm like, fuck, really? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I want to though, you know? So I found what I'm finding in that scenario, which is an interesting scenario, like coming in as a, I, I'd say I write shotgun as CEO, right? Like I'm, I'm like probably one of the few people that can go into a, uh, a $10 million, $100 million, or $400 million company, and I've sat in all their shoes.
1: You yeah, know? you've had decades of experience doing this in high growth companies, and we'll, we'll get to that soon.
0: Right, so when I show up, what I'm realizing is no different whether it's a team member or whether it's a CEO I'm trying to influence is what I was doing originally was I'm like, all right, I can see where they need to go, right? And I was like telling, 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 hey, this is where you need to go. And they're shaking their heads. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. And then we'd start our, go to our doing work and then they would start like pumping the brake and not want to do it. And I'm like puzzled. Cause I'm like, Hey man, I'm giving you the fucking cheat sheet. Like, this is how you, do, like you want to go to Z you're at a, I'm telling you the next steps B. And they're like, nah, man, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, and they're not saying it, their actions are showing that. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like frustrated first, very frustrated. Now, now sub out the word CEO, put in the word employee. Hey, employee, we're well, at A. I want us to get to Z. Let's do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, dude, why aren't you doing it? I don't want to do B. Now, as CEO, they like look at your face. I'll do B boss. And then they don't do it. <laughs> you know, so because I'm not meeting them where they're at, I'm like, hey, go to Z. Now what I learned was. When I see that, because sometimes the the best ones are the easy ones. I don't have to convince my team to go. They're just riding shotgun. Darius says jump over a bridge. They jump over a bridge. Darius says go climb through the jungle. They climb through the jungle. Darius says go fight alligators. They fight alligators. And then there's the ones that are like, I'm not leaving camp. But they don't say it. Their actions say it. They go, "Uh uh-huh, boss. I'll go fight alligators. And they're they're like, no, I'm not. And then they go do the thing they want to do. So, what I, what I learned in an example that's a long winded way of answering your question is when I see that behavior, I don't say, hey, that person sucks. It's my, they, they shouldn't be here. I say, what an interesting challenge I've been, that's been brought to my attention. What could I do better to get them to understand why it's important mm-hmm. to go to B? And then I show up and I go, hey, I see you're at A. You, you, you know how we want to go to Z, right? And they're like, yep. And I'm like, how can I help you get there? Hmm. Like, what, what do you need? What, 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 what do you need? Because it doesn't feel like you're, you're into this. And they go, well, you know, there's this other thing we're dealing with, which every time I leave that to go do B, that breaks. And I need support over here on this thing over here that has, it's not even the alphabet. It's actually numbers, Darius. I'm dealing with, you're talking about A's. I'm talking about ones, twos, and threes. And like, I can't leave to go do your B, C, D, and E because one, two, and three breaks every time I do that. And I go, oh, let's sit down and figure that out together. And what I found was the minute I would sit down and say, oh, well, let's figure out a plan for one, two, and three, B was not an issue anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, it's such an empowering question. What you just said, like, what can I do to support you? How can I support you? It's empowering. it's clear that you want to champion them. It's clear that you're there to you know to, to do what needs to be done to move forward instead of like what feels like prescriptive and directive and all of those things, which is often how leadership looks.
0: Well yeah, it's like this command and control style of leadership and so what we learn in Stegan is around integral leadership, which is meeting people where they're at and mm-hmm. elevating them to where we want them to go right? and getting them getting them to be a part of it not being forced to go because inevitably if they're feeling forced they won't go and so there's a lot of data and strategies and really a lot of like psychology and science around this and and we learn the psychology we learn the science we read the Harvard Business Review you know articles we read these psychological assessments of what how how and why people make decisions that they're going to make and then there's a whole section on geopolitical mindsets and we learn those which that was like that's absolutely fascinating. Like for me, I, that was the thing I loved most about the program, which I'm not even allowed to talk about it because it's what happens at stagen stays in Stagan but
1: <laughs> Fair uh, enough.
0: <laughs> but, but there, but yeah, it's very cool. Like, like just for people that know what I'm talking about, there's autocratic mindset, there's traditional mindset, strategic mindset, pluralistic mindset, integral mindset. And so we start to learn that there's and that's an ideology around spiral dynamics, which people that understand what that is will, will know what I'm talking about. And it all, it's all grounded. This is the coolest part. It's all grounded in core values. And I got there intuitively. I'm not a very like academic person. I don't like to study like books and stuff like that. I I love to read some stuff and I'm interested in learning, but I'm not a person that's going to go do a deep dive. You know, Colby, you know, Mm -hmm. Colby system. Oh, yeah.
1: I use Colby in hiring
0: my team. Yeah. I'm a a 686383. Right. So, so my fact findings is six which says a lot, right? So I need to know enough and I'll do a fair amount of research, but like at a certain point I'm done, right? Whereas people with a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 Colby on their fact finding, you're going to go that sit there and nerd out on data and studies. I do a fair amount, like more than the average bear. But so with this type of stuff, I didn't do that. I, I kind of, my quick start's really high. So it's an eight, right? So I'm like, I'll just go do it and play with it. And I'll learn by playing with it, right? And this is a typical entrepreneur, right? I'll play with it and then figure it out that way. Intuitively, I landed on the fact that Core values, if they are the fundamental beliefs of our lives, don't they control all of our decision making? Then, right? Like, think about that. What if you could get intentional about that, and then what if you could get people to understand yours and you understand theirs? Now you have the language of accountability by which you speak. I don't know, I know a lot more about you then, right? I know what how you make decisions. I know why you make decisions. And so for me, I just, I really love that about Stegan because it's grounded in values, and then it. We elevate from that to really understand people and what makes them tick to get them to do what we want them to do. And that doesn't matter where they're coming from. Client, team member, outside constituent, inside constituent. It's all the same. They're all stakeholders.
1: Yeah. Well, and I love, so this is a good bridge to, so a couple of things that I highlighted, why well, highlighted a lot of stuff in your book and we'll dive deeper into it, but I want to pick up on what you said about mindset, right? Because core values are mindset. And mindset is core values. And that bridge is really powerful. When you kind of brought the book home with, I think you talked about another coach you had worked with, David Zellman. was that his yeah. name? And I love this question he asked, like, how do you get the results you want in the world? And you brought it back to, or he brought it back to, and your epiphany was, Language matters. Actually, core values are our language, right? They are the words that help us do the thing and get the results that we want. And take away a lot of like, you know, those the decisions we're running in our heads all day long. So that to me was so powerful because I live in the world as a coach. I live in the world of mindset. And I was like, that's right. It's so clear. I thought about my own personal values, right? When I left Harley, I thought I was clear on my values, but I sat down and I kind of took the Brene Brown challenge and said, all right, get to your top, two values, maybe three, but so many of us are used to circling like 15 of them on a page. Like we've all seen those and you've seen those that happen in companies as well. We'll take this to the company's realm. But I realized I had done that. I was like, oh yeah, you know, love and courage and freedom and, you know, kindness and all the things. Yeah. All of those are really important, but when it push came to shove and I had to say, what are my top two or three? I got really clear that the my values are freedom, authenticity, and courage, period. And I started designing my life to the very first thing you said in this conversation. I started designing my life around those and went, holy shit, no wonder I've been feeling this tension and sort of feeling unfulfilled in what I do. And it made a lot of decisions in my life that much easier. Not easy, but that much easier, right? So how has that played out for you? I'm curious what your values are and what your journey has been.
0: Yeah. Well, so it's funny, me being the word warrior that I am and being a core value evangelist that I am, I look at So your top three values, let's go to your values first and then we can go to mine. Yeah, sure. What I have people do is is I came up with an exercise that I do, which is I do have them rank their top 15, but it's with the intention of them figuring out what their top five are. And it could Mm. be four, five, something like that. There's a book built to last by Jim Collins and and Jerry Porras. And and, and they did a study on visionary companies over in the 20th century. And what they came up with was that visionary companies stood for no less than three and no more than six core values. That was consistent. Right. So for me, I, I always land around four or five. That seems like pretty solid to me. The reason for it is that I want to have a well roundedness around what matters to me. And I don't want, and you can't stand for everything. To your point, there's a prior, and, and I have another friend, uh, Bob Glazer, that was talking about, I can't remember who it was. It was like a, not the guy that started Jiffy Lou, but it was one of those types of guys. And he said, there is a priority of values. You have a number one core value that you like for you, you're saying it's freedom for me, it's, it's, it's happiness. And so what I like to do is I I do like to, I do think that there's a lot of value around, I call those core value themes These more, the more generic values, just because what freedom is to you may be different than freedom for somebody else, right? What authenticity means to Shelly may be different than authenticity to another person. So I do like to translate them because I think that there's a tone in which you live your life and, and the tone, Again, me being a word warrior, the tone is is where there's a lot of meat on the bone. So mm. I love to translate those those themes into into words that really speak to the tone of you as a person, as an individual or as an organization. And I push for that in the book. I say, I believe there's a lot of meat on that bone. So I have an example in the that I that in real life of these two organizations, I help them do their values. And and I was never a consultant until really until now. So I used to do core values for fun for people. And I had a forum mate that went to Harvard and he had a, he's in the HBS, uh, Harvard Business School forum with a bunch of the, his graduating class. And there's like a group of seven or eight of them. And they're all CEOs of companies. And he was seeing this person who was a management consultant. And he's like, man, you really need to build your core values for your business. My, now, mind you, I had helped him by... He was a forum mate of mine. I'd helped him build his and they had a huge effect on his business. It was just something I had done for fun... To help him out. Well, this so, is you know, one of this, your
1: passions, right?
0: Yeah, this and this is early on, right? I was like, my company at that point was a couple hundred employees and grew, you know, triple, quadruple that size, and so I ended up helping him do his values, and they end up with two themes. One of them was there was four themes, but two of them. One was excellence, and one was collaboration. And he was a hard driving management consultant. And the language of what those stood for were, you know, and I don't remember what what we translated them into, but they were these like very hard driving kick your ass if you don't do work, competition wins, ownership to, you know, things you would expect from a management consultant coming out of Harvard Business School. On the flip side, I did a talk at entrepreneur's organization for this group called Accelerator, which is their less than a million dollars in revenue companies. That It's a feeder program for EO. And, and at the end, it was on core values. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was contradicting all the other speakers that day. And at the end of my talk, this guy comes up to me. He's like, man, I love your talk. Like you literally said the opposite of what everybody else said. And I said, oh, well, that's probably because they haven't experienced the problems that they will with their answers until they grow more. And which is, you know, inevitably what happens when, if I'm coaching a 10, million, 10 person company to become a twenty person company, my solution may not work at forty people, you know, but if you're Darius and you're like, yeah, i I've, I've grown from zero to a thousand employees. like I've broken it already at forty and then I broke it again at eighty and then I broke it again at one sixty and then I broke it again at 320, 640, and all the way up to a thousand. So I broke it five different times and I saw, oh that what worked there didn't work here. And so I was basically saying, well, yeah, they hadn't thought of these five things that are gonna break later, and they should my way kind of you sidestep all those landmines and so he had the same themes two of his themes were the same excellence and collaboration when you the header the translation of those into the tone of what he his were like Mikasa was was excellence and i think it was come as you are it was a line from an urbana song you know totally different but they were the same theme so my my whole thing with values is i do i firmly believe you should translate your themes into into headers these are you know, two to three words that really represent what freedom means to you. And I have whole process. I teach people how to do that for businesses and for the personal, because I love that. So when you ask me mine, I have six values, which is on the high end. And I, and I built them when I was at Stegan, which is ironic because I'm like this core value person. I built them for my companies. And I had never done my own personal values, which mm. is insane. Right. And so I do them and I landed on six values. My number one core value was happiness, but I didn't call it happiness. I call it heart and I have this image of a Fibonacci heart, and I describe what it is. I'll share them with you at some point if you want to. Yeah, see I would them.
1: love it. Yeah. Uh,
0: my number two is love, but I call it besos, which is kisses in Spanish. My number three is passion. I call it Eye of the Tiger, like the song from yeah. Rocky. My number four is boom, which stands for creativity. It's like an explosion. My number five is curiosity, and that's Cinco, which stands for what, where, who, when, and why, the five words. Mm. And my last one is balance, but I call that movie night, which is every Saturday, I watch movies with my family and we hang out together. So those are the translations of the themes.
1: I love that. That I mean you're making me think what I want to do after this conversation is dig in because I'm just now reflecting on how often I say freedom, authenticity, courage and it's like all of those words are overused actually and what do they really mean when you put them through like the badass rebel Shelly Paxton lens. So what are my versions? So I love that you got in there and you had there's so much texture and nuance to the language that you're using like that's a good lesson for all of us so one get clear can I ask for anybody who hasn't spent time working on their personal values or their organizational values like how do you get started what do you tell people
0: I mean, the process is the same between the two. I just tell them, to read my book. Cause my book really makes it really easy. I mean, Wait, I,
1: we got to show your book. So for those of you who are not, okay. I love, I love this. I have to tell you, Daria. So first of all, it's got this bright pink cover. I'm wearing your pink uni- unicorn, bright, pink scarf. And in honor of you, instead of pulling out my orange highlighter, I pulled out my pink highlighter. And so there's pink highlights all throughout your book. And his book, just so you guys know, especially for those of you who are listening, is called The Core Value Equation, A Framework to Drive Results, Create Limitless Scale, and Win the War for Talent. I found this really, it really, really fascinating because I was thinking about God, Sulpatical is on this growth trajectory. Not necessarily like you know the companies that you've run, that Twin Capital Mortgage and what the Money Source. I think was your most recent one. I mean, you've been the CEO of these super high growth companies and recognized in recognized for the work that you've done. I hope we ultimately are on that that trajectory. I think this is a huge movement, and we're at the very very beginning. But as I was thinking about this, I'm like oh, this is amazing work. I want to do this. So this is the handbook, exactly as you said. Like, this is the handbook. It takes you step by step by step to how do you actually, actually, I want to say, will you tell us the story of what led you to this moment where you had like that holy fuck moment? You're like, "I I don't, I haven't done a good job like creating core values for my own organization, even though I thought I did. Like, what was that moment?
0: Well, yeah, there's, there was two, one though, that was like the gut punch that, that, that really like, there was an early one and then there was the real, the big one. So the early one was when I rolled them out to the team and I didn't even get, I didn't, I was, I didn't understand then what I understand now in retrospect, I was like, Oh, I fucked up. (laughs) You know, when I rolled out the core values to the team in the middle of rollouts, one of our, I did it over like a conference call which was weird because we were all in the same office, but there was 150 people waiting to have a big enough space for everybody. And so I did it over conference call them. And, and, and the way it worked was there, I had six values. There were, there were like these sentences that were like 76 words long. And I was reading, and I think I was on my third value and I was reading them out loud. And one of our salespeople, she didn't mute her phone. And she's like, and she just like, was like talking to somebody else. And she goes, God, this is such bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Yeah. And I was I was really offended, rightfully so. I mean, the, I, I really cared about building a good like company. So that that was the first moment where I was like, now I I wasn't introspective. I was young, first of all, I was 28 and I was really new to all this stuff. And this is back in like 06, right? So this is, you know, this is like, the stuff was just getting popularized, okay? Like, like it wasn't totally normal to like have a core value driven organization or, you know, like that wasn't like something everyone did, you know, or if they did, it was pretty generic back then. And so I just thought, oh, that person shouldn't belong here. Right. I didn't think like, oh, maybe I did a bad job. This is me not realizing what could I have done better as a leader to like, now Darius at 42 versus 28 was like, oh, that's your fault, man. (laughs) Like, like you didn't build, The right organization that either a allowed a person like that to come in here that shouldn't be here, or b you haven't brought them, you haven't met them where they're at to help them understand why this is important, right? So I ended up, you know, I'm pretty good at taking responsibility, but at that moment I didn't. So fast forward to about two years later, I was graduating from this program at MIT where I was learning this stuff called now it's called EMP, but back then it was called Birthing the Giants, and it was the afternoon of graduation and we were doing a peer to peer workshop and. And there's a book called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. And Vern, this was his program, actually. It was him, Inc. Magazine, and MIT Enterprise Forum put the, put the program on back then. Now it's just EO and, and Vern, and or so uh, MIT Enterprise Forum. And so anyway, these two guys who were running this company out of Canada, it's like a best place to work in Canada called Nurse Next Door. They did a workshop with us. So they said, please stand up if your company has core values. Now, mind you, we're three years into the program. We, were just, we just graduated that afternoon. It was just like this like thing we were doing for fun. And so we're, they're leading us in this peer-to-peer workshop, which by the way, every time I speak, I start with this, I do this to people because I want them to understand what I understood at that moment. I want them to feel what I felt because it, it was it was it changed my life, what happened, what I'm about to say happened. And so I said, please stand up if your company has core values. So now mind you, we've had three years to learn this. And of course, we we were all CEOs. So it's not like someone else built our core values. We built our core values, us and our teams or us individually. And so I stood up. As did the other 59 other people in the room. They said, please stay standing. If you know your core values, you can say them off the top of your head. And I sat down. <laughs> well, and it was really, I, I look, I'm my harshest critic, Shelly. And I was, and I'm not kind to of myself as I would like to be. And I was definitely not kind to of myself at that moment. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and then I looked and saw that half the room had sat down. And I was like, what? Like, that's weird. How? I was like, you know, misery loves company, but it still was shocking to me. And then what happened next was like blew my mind. They said, please stay standing if your employees know your core values. Half of the remaining half sat down. So now three quarters of the room sitting down. They said, please stay standing if your customers know your core values. Everyone's sitting down except the two guys leading the workshop. And at that moment, I I realized that there's a disconnect between this idea or this thought around that it's important to have core values in your company and and the actual practical bringing them to life where you know them, your team knows them, your clients know them. And I said, there's a pretty wide gap here.
1: And I think aren't there are two things. It's like, yes, know them, like you, your team, your customers, and live them, which is a whole different animal, right?
0: What I found is they're, is they're kind of one in the same. I've yet yeah. to meet someone who knows their values and their team knows their values and their customers know their values that don't live them. I've yet to see that. It's I, I, I've i never seen that before. What I have seen is teams who they don't know their values, their team doesn't know their values, their customers don't know their values, and then they have these words on a piece of paper that nobody lives. That's, that's, that, that is super common. Or they live in part-time, or they break them, or the CEO and managers break them and then they undermine them in the organization even if they are alive and well and then they just become bullshit that nobody believes. I see that all those things, there's variations of that. That's fairly consistent. At best, I see that they're like a lot of intention around doing a good job. The execution doesn't meet the intent. You have a company that is core, has core values most of the time, but they don't serve any real utility value in, in how do you build an organization with them? And I'm like... My you want my take on this would you mm-hmm. would you care for that? my take hundred
1: percent that's why you're on the show,
0: yeah, Rock my, on. Take, my take on it is they are the most powerful tool you have. every single thing you want to do around growth, decision making, attracting the right team, building the right organization, bringing in the right customers, and every result in the organization is a is directly correlated to the core values that are alive and well in the organization. And if that's the truth, if we go back to D- Webster's dictionary that says, your core values of your organizational life or the fundamental beliefs by which you live why would they not be the most powerful tool it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't be yet in 90% more or more of organizations most people don't know their values there's data around this it's crazy and it is i want to change yeah i want to change that
1: And I think I love it. And I'm so glad you're on that mission and that you're doing work. So you obviously did this in a couple different companies. Now you're doing this work as a consultant helping other companies. I mean, The number of companies I've worked within where there are, you know, Brene Brown calls them like the cat posters and then there are like the plaques, you know, it's like word after word after word that I could never memorize or describe or really even understand the true intent of. That's a lot of what's happening, right? It's the plaques and the posters that are sort of like, okay, we did it. Now we move on. So for everybody listening cuz there are a lot of leaders in big companies and leaders in you know entrepreneurial organizations and people in transition right now like how do you make these sticky i love that you use that word in your book because that's like how do we make them real and sticky and get people engaged because that language does matter and it drives the decisions that ultimately drive the actions and the results that's the equation you give us
0: yeah. So, so, so it's funny. I, I, I realized that I came at this at such a different, such a different angle. And everything that I came up with was me just ideating and trying and trial and error. And, and then I'd see things that would work. And, and when I, where I landed when it was all said and done after years and years, I mean, I really played with this from, you know, 06 was when I started, 08 was when I sat down in that room. And it wasn't until like 13 until I was like, felt really confident that I knew what the hell I was doing. So that's seven years of playing with core values, like, and it wasn't like I was killing it and having these great businesses. I was a subprime mortgage lender in 2006, seven, and eight. You know, that my shut that company down at the end of 09, early 10. And then I was pivoting and it, all the while playing with core values. And where, where where I landed was really simple, is that is that I want you to think of this. If you treated your product the way you treat your values, how successful would your product be from an adoption? And from a success, client success standpoint, I don't care what your product is. Think, I want the listeners to think about that. If you treated your product, your most important product in the business, the way you treat your values, how successful would it be? And I already know the answer. You don't have to say it. And you know the answer. You'd be out of fucking business. Yeah. You know, so that's weird, right? There's like a gap there. You're like, there's there's a gap there. Like the fundamental beliefs of the organization would, would have, are, are the most important things you believe, and yet you don't treat them the way you treat your most important quote unquote product, which is tactical by the way, that product won't even be relevant 10 years more like 10 years from now more than likely, yet your values will be. So it's this big disconnect. And so I was like, your core values are the most important product you have in your organization. Now just I want you to reframe what I just said. What if you took your values and treated them the way you treat your product? Like gave them that same attention to design. You know, what if like think of the way Harley designs its its motorbikes? The what care and intentionality what if you took that same care and intentionality and put it into discovery and designing your values so that they had high utility value so that they, they would be, have an opportunity to be successful. So where I ended up landing, cause I'm, you know, honestly, I'm kind of a designer by nature, even though I'm a CEO, like I'm a design person. Like I look at stuff. I'm like, how do we design it to make it better? So I'm always designing. I'm pretty creative and artistic. And I'm like, how do I design that to make it more effective and efficient and elegant and more just have, you know, that thing that good design has, right? And so my belief and where I, where I landed was, if you look at the framework that that's failed, most organizations and people is that this is the process that's been a well-worn path. Discovery process is legit. We figure out that we're all about freedom, authenticity and courage, right? So like, no doubt you did the discovery process, you know, it's important to you. The design process, it, beyond that, there really isn't one. And then there is no real rollout. The rollout's like, hey, team, here's our core values. And then ongoing implementations, weak if existent at all. And then we're like curious why it fails. And I'm like, well, I, does that sound like a winning formula to you? <laughs> like, not to me. That's you know?
1: plaques on walls. <laughs> That's like Dude, what you cool. call words on paper, right? I say plaques on walls. You call it words on paper, but it's really yeah. meaningless.
0: Yeah, it's like, hey, it's a box you checked and then you went and did business as usual, right? And so what I figured out was the discovery process is important. Like I need to know that you're about freedom and courage. I need to know that you care about authenticity, but then I need to design those for high utility value. And, and so my, I think that's actually the biggest thing my book does is, is if like the discovery process is a well-worn path you got to discover what's, what's meaningful to you. And what I say to people and I say it in the book is core values don't need to be nice. Mm-hmm. Be authentic. Own what you are. Everyone has that friend who's a dick and it, that you still love. Like, if that's what you are, that's what you are. Sorry. Like, like you're better off coming out because guess what? Everyone's going to fucking know one way or the other anyway. It's just a question. Are they going to know day one or day 90? They're going to know. And when they know, they either are going to be stoked or they're going to feel deceived. Or they're going to become apathetic there's one of those three right yep. and so i'm like be what you are own it you i would rather have a smaller group of raving fans than a bigger group of apathetic people that can get picked off by the
1: Or detractors right
0: yeah right so, so you could get the detractors you could get the 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 you know i want the promoters i want the those raving fans right i don't want the passives to show up i don't want the detractors to show up yet we do this you know in our business we don't do it but with our core values we do it all day long and so, and I know you're a marketing person so what I'm going to say is is controversial right now. I said I blame marketing and HR people for this because they haven't told people to be authentic, you know, mm. maybe good ones like you do, but like in your former life, but a lot of other ones just like no, oh, that's going to like rub clients the wrong way and I'm oh, like Oh yeah, totally. No, I rub them the wrong way get them the fuck out of here <laughs> like the ones yeah. that are going to stick around are going to be so much more pumped and bigger be they're going to be my advocates right so we got to dis- discover for authenticity then we got to design for high utility and that's i think my book really does a good job of showing this design methodology of figuring out how do we get people to remember, remember them? How do we put them in the language of the organization? How do, you, how do I take a word like, for my example, passion, my number three value, and turn it into eye of the tiger? When I say passion, you're like, oh, that's cool. When I say eye of the tiger, you're like, fuck yeah, right? Like, like there's a difference and they both
1: I literally wish I could get to Spotify fast enough to be like playing that in the background.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like I'm not that talented with the technology but I'm totally just know it's running in my head as like yeah the theme song you- to this conversation. It's brilliant. I love that. And I truly like, I want to do this work and everyone listening. I mean, I love your book because yes, you wrote it for CEOs running high growth organizations who need to get to the bottom of this, but you know what? It translates to everything. It translates to our own lives. It translates to larger organizations. I mean, it really is kind of a a universal language and a really important construct for all of us. And I think getting to that kind of that, what's the word? I used the word texture earlier and it's the one that's still coming up, but getting to that texture where it's like, oh my God, it's it's sensory. Actually, that's what I'm looking for. Like you've created, you've taken these, pa- you said passion, you've taken these words and it's like, what does that really mean? And you've created a sensory experience around it. Now you've designed your life around that. I get that. And I actually want to dig in deeper on mine because I feel like they're right now, they're at a very surface level, even though I know what they mean. I want to bring them to life in like that multi-sensory way and I encourage everybody to do that like pick your top I say three Darius says three to six whatever it is pick them and start to play around with them so that you can design your life and or your business around that and that becomes the language that drives everything I think that's really beautiful And to be honest, since you brought up passions, like I want to dig into passions because you and I are both, I was was sitting here going, fuck, like if I do my top six, like passion has to be in my top six. Like I think that's actually one of the areas where you and I connect because we're both just like lean in and we get super into it. And we're like, you know, right now we're like crawling through the screen, talking to each other. We did the same thing on the greatness machine. We did your podcast. And so you and I both have a passion for passion. So let's dig into that for a couple of minutes, because one of the things I'm most in, you're such a multi- Faceted character. And so, I guess a couple of things that I want to talk about. Like, one is the work that you've done around passion. So, you were a curator for like a couple of TEDx events, I think, around the theme of the pursuit of passion. And that's something that like lights me up. And I read, I don't know where this was, it might have been on your website or in something that I've read about you, but it said, the idea is that it's about identifying and connecting with your. True passion in a sustainable and meaningful way. I'm like, wow, wow, because not a lot of us do that in our lives. So, this is like to me, it's a continuation of how do your core values enable you to do that if you're really living into them? Is that how you think about it?
0: Well, I love the question. So, yeah, so th- is the first question is why did I do the event? Did you mm-hmm. want to? It, yeah, sure. You-
1: let's talk about it.
0: So I'm 42 and I I got, I got, I had a midlife crisis when I was 32, (laughs) which was was early. Yeah. And then I had one again at 42, but or 41. But when I was 32, I was just, I had been 10 years into my career and I was unhappy and I would killed myself to make money. I was like, I'm all about making money. I was like, I was a person that was like, I want to make a million dollars a year. Right. And I did it probably by the age of 27. And I was like, and then, and then I realized that, oh, like the bar will always go up. Right. And so I had a really a lot of, after I made the million dollars, which was when I was 27, I then made zero dollars for five years. So if you average out, it wasn't as great. But um, I really killed myself and I wasn't happy in my career. And I had a couple of friends who I went to high school with, one of which was my prom date in high school. And <laughs> she, she, if she's listening, if she ever listens to this, she'll laugh. She ended up, she became a Broadway star and she ended up being a Dina Menzel's understudy and she became the green witch for Wicked.
1: That's amazing. And
0: yeah. So her name is Eden Espinoza. And so she was like, had followed her dreams. Of, she's an amazing singer. And she was a really good friend of mine in high school. And I watched her like work at Disney after school. And she became like, she did like the Pocahontas show. Cause I lived in Anaheim, California. So we live where, where Disneyland is. And I saw her go from that to move to New York. And then before I knew it, we were like 26. And she was the green witch on Broadway, like straight up on Broadway. And then I had another friend and he was another, and she was, this is a mutual friend of ours of Eden and mine. And he was like into like videography in high school. And here he was like, like literally like, Killing himself to do film. And before I knew it, he was like shooting every major pop star's music videos back when music videos were a big deal on MTV. He was like Britney Spears and Kesha, Black Keys. He won it and he ends up winning a video music award, MTV Music video music award for best best new video music. This is like an 08. And so I saw these people who had like totally followed their passions and had done these like amazing things, not for money, like because they loved it. And here I was chasing dollars and like failing. And and not
1: feeling happiness is your number one value. I'm guessing you didn't find happiness in the money.
0: No, I mean, I, I mean, I like money, <laughs> but, but it didn't satisfaction and happiness. You know, well, you know, fulfill.
1: I talk about it in terms of fulfillment, right? Yeah, like I mean, happiness no. and fulfillment are two very different things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, I wasn't fulfilled, and at that point, I wasn't that. I wasn't making money, so I, I didn't. I wasn't having that. So it was like, well, here I am working for money and not making it, right? So like that's even worse. Like, let's just imagine you're like tr- all you give a shit about is making money, you're killing yourself to do it, and you're not doing it, and you're not happy, right? Like, that's a triple whammy of, of shittiness. And so I was like, This sucks, and I and then I'm looking over my shoulder, and I had these people that didn't chase dollars, they chased their passions, and they were crushing it, doing these really cool things. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do something that has nothing to do with making money. And I had a friend, his name's Cameron Harold, he's a pretty popular speaker, and he he has this thing where he was the COO of One Eight Hundred Got Junk, and he he did a TED Talk for how to teach your kids TEDx Talk for how to teach your kids to become entrepreneur, entrepreneurs. That went viral, and I got and I was like, oh, what's this TED thing? <laughs> like this is back in like two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was before it was really big, and so I started following it, and I I don't know what it was like. Like everything in my life, I'm a I'm a I'm a you know I'm a quick I'm a learner, so I fact finder as I said in Colby's course. So I went and looked, and I found I'm like, oh, you could. A, you could do your own TEDx event. It's a community-organized TED event. You just have to apply for a license. So I was like, I'm going to like do this event and I'm going to get everyone I could find who lived their passions to create greatness in the world like that were doing it despite the odds because it was something they were passionate about. And I just decided like to go out and I spent one year building this incredible event and I ended up curating it. And I'll, I'm going to tell you, it was one of the top five days of my life Like when we mm. did that event. It was so cool. And I just felt... Like it was so cool to watch people that that's what they cared about and to see the, the, the energy they brought. And so for me, I realized, I'm like, this is a really big part of, of, this is important for me. And I, and I ended up doing another year, but then I started my next business and that sucked all the energy out of the room. And, and I've kind of put it on the back burner. And, and then, you know, and then last year I, I had that moment again where I was like, what am I doing with my life? Here I am now running a, you know, nine figure company. And, you know, how do you, you know, told me 10 years earlier that I would be doing that. I would have been like, oh, you're going to be as happy as can be. And I wasn't, I just wasn't satisfied. I wasn't fulfilled. And so I left, I left that business. And then I started the greatness machine, which is that it's basically that TEDx turned into a podcast, which is that's how I met you was I'm like, this girl's doing some fucking awesome things. And I love her energy. And I want to talk, I want to meet people like Shelly that are living their passions to create greatness in the world. And so for me, passion's everything, you know, it's a, it's an important part. I want to be passionate till the day I fucking die. You know, like I want to be last dying breath, like knowing that I went out all in, like just doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it with who I want to do it with.
1: Amen, brother. And I'm so glad it brought us together. I have a question. So from the TEDx event that you curated, the pursuit of passion to starting the greatness machine, which is talking to people whose passions have led to, you know, the things they're doing and fulfillment in their lives and the journey that they're on, like, this is a big topic for people. And I think it's one that so many of us, and I'm guessing a lot of people, you know, our fellow rebel souls who are listening to this right now, really wrestle with. So what are some of the nuggets of wisdom or advice that you've gleaned from these conversations around passion that can help people take steps forward to pursue theirs? Because often it's scary as shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The work's hard to do. I mean, I, I stepped into the abyss. I left my job a year ago, kind of like how you did. I was like, I mean, we had the same deal. Like I left my job without another job. Like, and I was like, I'm taking a a year off, which, which is a lot of time to take off. Like, and by the way, like, that's a really good way to mind fuck yourself hard. Like leave (laughs) something that has your cup totally full to an empty cup with a ton of spare time and, and nothing to do and sprinkle in a little bit of COVID and you're really going to mind fuck yourself. Cause now you can't even leave your house. Right. And so anyway, it was an interesting, I will say my salvation was doing my book launch. Like that gave me something to do to get really refocused, but you know, where I've landed right now. And especially with some of it's with talking to people on the show and some of it's just been my own work, like doing Stegen and writing the book and playing with these, I call them, you know, I guess, assets around, like, these are assets that we use in our lives, our passion, our purpose, our, our, what are our talents, you know, how aware are we, what's our level of awareness. And so I've actually landed, I, I, there's this thing I'm toying with that I haven't trademarked yet, but I'm thinking about doing it. I'm calling it the fulfillment formula. Mm. Let me, let me tell you what it is.
1: Yes, please. That's right up my alley, as you know.
0: So I started doing, so I, about, since we last spoke, I started high growth CEO coaching practice And I literally went from like zero to 10 clients in like six weeks. (laughs) And, and I, which is like, my friends are like, Darius, people, takes people like four years to build a a coaching practice that fast. I'm like, yeah, uh, but I
1: have to say, I'm not surprised at all given your background and your experience. Yeah. But good for you. Congrats. That's huge.
0: Yeah. No, thank you. So I said, well, like I said earlier, I'm like, I'm like, I ride shotgun. I'm the CEO. I'm like, hey, you're a CEO, lonely at the top, building a high growth business and getting your head kicked in. I'm your guy. Yeah. (laughs) I've been there and done that. And like, I know where all the landmines are. So so these guys are like, these guys and girls are hiring me really quickly because they're like, I'm so fucked up. I need help. I'm like, no, don't worry about it. It, It's going to suck and I'll make it suck less and I'll probably help you make a lot more money and enjoy what you're doing, you know, because I didn't do it. you know. And here's the funny part, Shelly, is the medicine I'm serving is my own medicine, right? It's like the shit that I have a hard time doing. Right, I'm just it's I'm I'm a good workout partner. I will make you work out harder, but then I can make myself work out. Right,
1: (laughs) Uh, same thing. I get served that up every day. My clients are a mirror. Every single freaking day, my clients are a mirror to me. But I also want to like I really want to emphasize like we undervalue and underestimate all of our collective experience, like the work that we've done in our lived experience in the world. And you're proof of that. It's like, we're like, oh, well, I haven't coached people or I'm a new coach or I'm a whatever, whatever, trying to get into the space. And we kind of dismiss all of this experience. The reason why people are coming to you is because it's like, shit, he's been in this seat. Exactly what you yeah. said. He knows where the bodies are buried, where the skeletons are in the closet, where the landmines are. And so I just encourage everybody who's listening to think about what it is what does that look like in your life, right? There's a lot that we can do. We're just not bringing along that experience.
0: No, I I totally agree. And to your point, like, I I mean... I have high self-assurance. So I was like, of course they love me. you know. I'm like, I'm the best. But then I'm like, you know, building the airplane while, while it's flying and, and it's cool. But one of the things I started coaching on, which was this thing called the fulfillment formula. And when I tell my, my, my clients and these companies I'm working with, I go, listen, how you are anywhere is how you are everywhere. Like how you show up is how you're going to show up. I don't care if it's at home, it's at work. If you want to live a life of high fulfillment, I've really figured this is what I've figured out, and you're, it's monkey see, monkey do. If you how the CEO and the C-level shows up is how the rest of the team shows up. So where I've landed is this. And what I did in my business was I got really into Strength Finder, which is Gallup's tool for engagement. Are you working in your talents? Are you doing things, leveraging your talents? Because we know when we are. So I say, I make them rate themselves on one through 10 on their talents. Are you working and living in your talents, right? Are you doing things where you feel alive? Or are you working out of your talents? Because when we work in our talents, we feel energized. When we work out of our talents, we feel tired, yeah. right? So like for me, I'm like, I don't want to feel, I want to work in my talents as much as I possibly can. Then I say, so I so the fulfillment formula is rate your figure out what your top five strengths are. You can take a strength finder test or a Colby or I like strength finder. And then I say, ask yourself the question once a week on a scale of one to 10. Am I living that in that strength? One through 10. 10 being the highest score, one being the lowest score. Add them up. One through 10. There's 50, 50, 10, 10, 10, 10. There's top five. Are you scoring what are you scoring out of 50? Then I do the same. I have people run through and figure out their values. So I would say, hey, Shelly, freedom, authenticity, and courage are your top three values. How would you rate your, how well you lived in freedom this week? Like, here, yeah. let's do it. How, how would you rate your freedom score for the week?
1: Um, oh my God, off the charts, like a 10, because awesome. I've basically been spending time in Baja, Mexico.
0: Cool. Authenticity, one through 10. 10. And courage, one through 10.
1: Probably a seven.
0: Yeah, so then, so then I would say something to the effect of, Is there anything you want to be held accountable to, to bump that courage score up next week? So, so think of the intentionality that we're doing right now around you live. And we didn't do your talents. You didn't do your strengths, but I do it with your strengths. Then I do it with your values. And what I say is when people are living in their values and working in their strengths, they feel alive. They feel like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing.
1: I love that. So when people are living in their talent uh, Living in their talents and working uh, in their strengths.
0: Uh, okay. Other way. We're, yeah. Working in their strengths and sorry, working in their strengths and living in their values.
1: Got it. Working in their strengths and living into their values. And the closer you're getting that to a perfect score, the more alive you're going to feel. Yeah. So I love it, that formula.
0: Yeah. it's. To, I'll send you the worksheet on it because I built this work, coaching worksheet that I use. And then, uh, and then what I'd say is I divide that by their level of awareness. And so I have, I have four areas I measure for awareness. And I stole this from, from one of my foreign mates. He calls it meds and it's meditation or mindfulness. So mindfulness, exercise, diet, and sleep. <laughs> and what I do is I say, okay, do you have a mindfulness practice that you commit to every day? And, and I start small. I go two minutes meditation works for me, two minutes of prayer, devotion. I don't care. Gratitude journal, something when you're by yourself in your head, just being mindful. And how many days last week did you do out of seven? So seven is you did seven days. One is you did it one day, you know, or zero, or zero, zero days. Right. And then I do the same for exercise. How many days did you exercise last week? And it's, and, and by the way, I make it easy. 10 minute walk, walk around the block is exercise in my book. You don't have to go and do a triathlon. So how many days did you exercise last week? out of seven. I'm going to skip diet because this one's, I'm still playing with this. But then I say sleep. How many nights of good sleep did you have last night, mm-hmm. last week? How many nights out of seven did you have good nights of sleep? Seven out of seven, five out of seven. And then I I make diet on a scale one to 10 because I was making it on how many days a good diet. They're like, well, what if I have one beer or something like that? I said, all right, let's do your diet on a scale one to 10. 10 being the best diet, one being the worst. So that scores out of 37. And so I just have them rate it. And I say, listen, if you live in your strengths, or sorry, work in your strengths, live in your values, and those are the highest scores possible, and you have a high level of awareness... You're showing up and being present in good health, exercise, hormonally balanced, good diet, good sleep, have those mindfulness exercises like we're showing up at peak performance. Like when we feel good and we're doing what we love in the way we want to do it, that's the good life right there Mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned.
1: I love, I love that, and I'm realizing I talk about so much of that with sabbatical using different language, but that's what it, exactly what it is. And this is, I, I'm on a mission right now to bring sabbatical back into the corporate world, into business, to say why are we not living these principles more? Why is radical self care not on the C suite agenda? Why are we not normalizing the conversation around time off? putting humans first so that we can be more productive and more creative and more innovative and give ourselves that space, you know, to marinate and to percolate on, on ideas and to get inspiration from places. And so much of that factors into exactly what you're talking about. And you add the strengths piece to it. And it's like, boom. I get it because I talk a lot about the soul, the soul fuels and the soul sucks. And that's what you just described, right? The things that are not in your strengths suck the living daylight out of you and the things that are, and that are also in alignment with your values fuel you.
0: Yeah. It's, and like, like you asked me, like, how do I live a passionate life? And for me, it's taking all those things. And then the last part is pick a big, pick a big target, like pick Mm. something, like pick something that you want to work towards that's bigger than you. And that's, you know, that's living a purposeful life. Like, you know, for me, my core purpose is to live a poetic life and a life where I I help people be live engaged and for me to be engaged. Right. So for me, that's, that feels good. How do I teach engagement? How do I live in engagement and live a poetic life? Again, being a word warrior, like words matter to me. So that's my, that's my superpower and and doing it in those ways. Like if I'm fighting for that bigger thing, you know, and doing it in my strengths within my values with high level of awareness, like, dude, I'm a fucking happy camper. Like that's, that's when I'm good. You start fucking with any of those. Like I can tell you, I'm going to go off the rails. I'm not going to be good. You know?
1: That's uh, so. Beautiful. So yeah, that's it. This idea of living a poetic life. So I think I just made sense of something I had written down when I found out I follow you on social media and I've seen that your kids' names are Rumi and Pablo. And suddenly the light bulb just went off. <laughs> I'm like, live a poetic life. Holy shit, I get it. That is so beautiful. Yeah, me yeah. Quickly tell us the stories behind their names and obviously your love for Rumi and Pablo. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, my kids are my, my heart. Yeah. I named it. We named both our kids after poets of love. So like my first son was named Rumi after Rumi, the poet. And then my second son's Pablo after Pablo Neruda, Argentinian poet of love. And so we named them after poets of love. And I'm like, I'm just hooking them up for when they're they're dating in the future. They can like they have a cool thing to tell to tell to tell this whoever their significant other they're pursuing is. What was funny is the second my second son that was an easier that wasn't as big big of an argument. My my older son we like we were battling on his name hard. My wife wanted to name him Pablo and I wanted to name him Rocco. <laughs> and she didn't. She's like Rocco. What the hell's that? And and we were like battling, but it was we were reading poetry. Are we? Her aunt brought a Rumi book into the the to the room, like where we she was having them and we read it. I'm like, "What you want to name a Rumi?" And she's like, "Yeah." And my last name's twelve letters long with two silent H's, so you'll notice both of my children have two syllable, phonetic, like easy to pronounce first names. Keep that, it that, simple. That, that <laughs> was totally intentional. That was by design. There you go. <laughs>
1: That brings us full circle. It's poetic and by design, which sounds like it fulfills and in in alignment with your values because you said one of your values is love and I do remember it, Bezos, which is kisses in Spanish.
0: Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. uh, Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, you you know, like I think we all do this. We intuitively, if you, you know, I express myself with words. My number two strength is communication. So I love words, right? I like writing my book was fun. I enjoyed it. Like expressing myself through through speaking is like, I, I get, I can't have more. I'm having so much fun right now. I can't even tell you, right? Um, we share that.
1: We share yeah, that.
0: Totally, like, right. This is our
1: jam and this is our element right here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is like the bomb. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think that you need to listen to yourself. Right. And and the world will tell you that like, don't do this. And this is the way. And, and I just grew up being told all these things I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to do them and who I'm supposed to be and what's important and how to dress and, and all this stuff. And the realization is all those people can go fuck off. You know, like, you know, when you're taking your dying breaths, it's not going to be like, how could I have conformed more to how others wanted to see me?
1: Like, Oh my like, God, this could not, it could not be a perfect, more perfect sort of like tie the bow on this whole conversation because this is rebel for who we are, what we want and the impact we want to make in the world. And let's not live life on other people's terms. Let's flip the middle finger to the status quo, which is exactly what this whole podcast is all about. And of course, the reason why you were a perfect guest. So will you please tell everybody where they can find you now that they've fallen madly in love with you and your passion and the fact that you gave your kids (laughs) the names of poets of love, both of whom I love, by the way. So that's why I was like, I think that's what's going on there. But I just I love it. I love it. So how can people find you and follow you?
0: Yeah. Like I'm on all social media. So I love, I, I mean, I'm, I'm most, I love Instagram the most out, out of all the social media, cause I think the other ones have problems, but, but I'm on them all. Me um, too. Yeah. I love, I love Instagram. So yeah, you can go therealdarius.com. So www.therealdarius.com and then all the socials there and you can I, my live stream it's it's on a bunch of different platforms but Facebook's kind of where we house most of that you can see it on YouTube as well and I do those shows on Wednesdays live and then and that's been converted to podcast as well And the podcast is not up yet but that'll be on all major platforms as well but yeah the real, the real you can email me at darius at I I respond but yeah socials where to find me Perfect. I would give and you the all book, the
1: book where can we buy yeah we'll we'll put all of this in the show notes. And we can buy the book anywhere you can buy books.
0: Yeah. Anywhere you can buy books. You could go through my website or Amazon or, you know, whichever it's, it'll, but anywhere you buy books, it's, it's in all formats, Kindle, Nook, audiobook, regular book, hardback, softback however you like it. So I, I, just, it. I, I, I put it out there in every format. So people wouldn't have an excuse as to why they won't read it.
1: <laughs> Amen, brother. I did the same thing. And so now let's, okay, wrap up with the significance of the pink unicorn, because I'm sporting it still. Yeah. And, and I just, and I love it. And it's behind you for anybody who's watching the video, you've got the pink unicorn on you. Oh, wait, we got a good story coming. Okay. You just grab something off your wall.
0: I so this is a old, as you can see the cracking of the of the screens oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah of the soap screen so my oldest son who will be 11 on december 29th he was just like a, he's a, he's a really eccentric roomie he's a really eccentric kid and he when he was like two was like busting tutus and called himself a princess and was just like like it's just like I was his jam dude like pink and princess and and he loved Pinkie Pie Pony from My Little Pony. Like he was like all about the pink unicorn on My Little Pony. And so my wife who is very art- artistic, she always makes us t-shirts for Christmas. She silk- uh. She's a silk screener. So she still screened a pink unicorn t-shirt for me and my son. And and this was in two, like December of 2013. So he would have been, I don't know, three years old then and, or almost four. And so I, I was building my company, The Money Source. And Friday we would do casual Fridays. And so I just rocked my t-shirt because like it was Friday. And I wore the Peak unicorn t-shirt one day. And my staff went fucking crazy. And, and I had been trying to figure out a mascot for the core values for a long time because we were a core value-driven organization and I was all about the core values. And our core purpose was to grow happiness. And, and there, you know, there's I had already been building these cultural assets in the business. And I just, you know, I, I'm all about not forcing it, right? When you design this stuff, you ask me how do you make it come to life? Don't force it. Like you got to figure out what resonates, and then you go. And then you got to pay attention to it, and it'll come to life over time. The book talks about these ways to do it, which yep. we won't get into now. But, but yeah, I wore the T-shirt, and my t- staff went nuts. And I said, "Hey, if you guys get your numbers this month, I'll buy you all T-shirts." And then I bought them all T-shirts because they had their numbers. And then I'm kidding you not, the pink unicorn went viral. Like like everyone, and, and I said, it's in the book. I talk about if you want the core values to go viral, create a core value mascot. You got to give people assets to remember it off of. And so for us, so fun. yeah, people dug it. So when I left the company, I'm like, I'm taking this shit with me. <laughs> I'm like, that's okay. You guys, we could both have, like, if you go to TMS, the, the money source, like, they got pink unicorns all over the place there. And I'm like, yeah, well, I got them here too. Like, I love that company, but no one owns a pink unicorn, baby. <laughs> no one owns that mascot. So yeah, so, so the t shirt, that was the original one. And it's really my son. Like, he's the pink unicorn.
1: I love it. Uh, I mean, Rumi and Rumi both inspirations in a big way. I'm trying to think of what the sabbatical unicorn, or the sabbatical mascot, is going to be because it's orange something. Because as you know, all orange. I'm sporting your pink today. I'm going to have to wrap it up there. I could talk to you for hours and hours, yeah. and I know that we will offline. But thank you for joining us today. Like this was like so many nuggets of wisdom, and thanks for just bringing your passion for these topics. To- to this community and this conversation. I'm so grateful to know you.
0: Yeah. The gratitude goes both ways. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun.
1: Yeah. And thanks you guys for tuning in. I'm so glad you got to meet Darius, my new badass friend. And you haven't heard the last of him and certainly haven't heard the last of me. So have a good rest of your day. Bye. Hey Rebel, thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at solbatical.com and follow me at solbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?